What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, Jaw Raps, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? We're going to get to the coaching stuff later because obviously we have some pretty incredible games to talk about. I do want to say one thing off the top, though. The transfer portal is probably the thing you and I have disagreed most on in the history of this podcast. How so? I'm, oh, in terms of just how it operates, I I will just always not feel good about it. Ah, and, and I the, will the, always the, empower players to do what they, whatever the hell they want to do because that's what coaches do. Right, and if, it's specifically the one, you know, the no sitting out, one transfer, all that that stuff. Sure. I don't know what. I'm supposed to to do in terms of because my argument has always been it's the it's the best situation because of and the NCA dragging its feet and not getting something better out there. Sure. I don't know what I'm supposed to do though if coaches just decide players are no longer welcome on their teams. Mm. To your to your point about at Rick Patino literally right, right. in his introduction press right. conference and De- and Deion Sanders said the same thing at Colorado. Yeah, some guys should just pack their bags. Yeah, he said something like that. I, I don't know how we're supposed to have any kind of conversation about anything other than complete free agency if that's how coaches are approaching it. Yeah, just wanted to throw that out there, but pondering that, I can't. You, you, like you guys all know, before we hit record, Josh said, "Hey, let's do coaches at the end," and then responded <laughs> to my "How you doing?" question with a coach thing. Unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. Just trying to keep me on my toes. Um, but right. yes, it's been a busy week in the coaching carousel. Uh, portion of the college basketball schedule um no waiting for the tournament to end this time around not that there usually is but there were several big names in the tournament that about about roughly the time that they touched down in their respective towns after losing in the ncaa tournament were on their way to another school but we'll get to that at the end there are four Sweet 16 games that we need to talk about from Thursday evening. It is Friday morning at 8.10 in the morning. Hey, how are you? Thanks so much for joining us here on the Jays for Days podcast. Josh, let's start at Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden, Kansas State, Michigan State, 98-93 in overtime. Let me ask you, okay, my first question is, Marquise Noel at Madison Square Garden or Yukon Kemba at Madison <laughs> Square Garden? Which one are you taking? Either way, your options are pretty spectacular. And uh, what Marquise Noel did last night in the NCAA tournament was pretty, pretty spectacular. I'll go Kemba just because Marquise Noel does have another All-American on his team. Fair. The the, the Kemba the Kemba crossover and and buzzer beater that he hit against Pitt is still the dirtiest college basketball <laughs> play I've ever seen. Like everyone knew Kimball was going to take a pull up jumper there and still somehow Pitt ended up with a big guy switched on to him. That's the underrated part of that mm-hmm. play. Like how yep. you let that happen. And then the poor guy just got absolutely cooked. Yeah. But that is, that is fair for, for the record. I would take UConn Kimba over Kansas state Marquise Noel, but last night it's a, it's a conversation. I, I will take any New York City guard playing in Madison Square Garden. That's yeah. the other part of this I've decided. Mm-hmm. Give me, give me all. I mean, you'll take the New York guards generally, but give me all. Give when the the stakes are highest, when the lights are 
shining the brightest. Give me those New York guards playing at home all day long. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of magical power in that combination. And yeah, you saw it last night with Marquise Noel. Not New Jersey, though. New Jersey tough? Is that what they called? <laughs> who 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 did they call New Jersey Matt, tough? Matt Farrell. Right, Matt Farrell. Right, right. Not New yeah, Jersey tough. Not to be mistaken. Started. Not to be mistaken. But yes, 98-93, Marquise Noel breaking an NCAA tournament record. 20 points, 19 assists, Josh, to just two turnovers. That's an assist-to-turnover ratio, by the way, of 8.5 to 1. <laughs> Excuse me, no, 9.5 to 1. Sorry. Yep. Sorry, it's it's early. Uh, eight and a half to one. He had five steals as well, including the a steal on the final possession to 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 steal things. And generally, I'm against the whole the game is over. I'm still going to take a shot kind of thing. But for some reason, I and like the way the crowd reacted to his layup hanging on the rim for a second <laughs> was like the ball going in would have decided the game. Right, right. Like everyone was kind of like staring at it and the game was already over. But uh, but that made me laugh because it it kind of felt like that. But um, but for him to to make the defense play at the end was the icing on top. Yeah. And in his defense, he was essentially throwing the ball up. Mm hmm. Right, he just happened to throw it. He up wasn't the, essentially throwing. He was the, he was scoring. Stop well, yes, yeah, yeah, no, no, but from a trying to get the ball out of harm's way, basically. Yeah, but he could have ran to the left corner. Of the, right, oh, of right, the floor oh, right, and right. The oh. exact same. He was thing. he was trying to score, but he wasn't. He was there was a ulterior. There was an additional purpose yeah. in terms it, of it was not the to, same thing as the FAU guy in the round of thirty-two trying to throw down a tomahawk dunk. Right, right, end. exactly. That's my point. Yes. Um, it's the thing we've been talking about Kansas state all year, right? You got, I mean, you got two really, really spectacular performances in different Keontae Johnson was right. 22 and six, 10 of 18 from the field, just really, really solid. And a, a big part of the d- discussion entering this game was, can anybody on Michigan state's basketball team guard Keontae Johnson? The answer was no. Um, and then Marquise Noel did what he did, but elsewhere you had four different Wildcats and double figures in this game outside of Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel. And and against really good teams, you're probably going to have some games where that's not the case. But when that does happen, um, Kansas State can beat can beat anybody, even on a night when uh, you get some good performances from the Spartan side of things as well, even when Michigan State shoots 50% from the field and knocks down 13 of their 25 three-pointers. Yeah. And, you know, Ish Masood had a couple, not only did he score 15 points, he had a couple of huge shots, including the one at the end. Yep. Their bench was 10 of 13 from the floor, by the way. Yeah. 26 points between Gasan and and Masood. Yep. This was a very interesting defensive strategy from Michigan State. This is where I've really sort of come down on this game. They were so worried about Noel and Johnson, and particularly Noel, that it's almost been – it felt to me like it was the opposite of what we've seen most of the season, where – Make those two guys score, you know, 45. And if they do, because they will sometimes, you just got to tip your hat and say they were better than us. Michigan State was running all kinds of help defense at both of them. Mm-hmm. And you had, and, and this is, I mean, Noel's court vision was ridiculous. The Some of those passes he made, the things he saw, absolutely incredible. There were also a lot of really <laughs> wide open players with backdoor cuts to the basket. 
they just, and the second half was better. They finally just started saying, hey, we're going to just try and stay in front of him and not throw three guys at him. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, when he's five inches shorter than the guy guarding him, he's not going to finish every time inside the paint. Mm -hmm. And he still did what he did. But that's part of the story of, and, you know, they hit their threes. But even on that last possession, it was a good example of it. I think it was Hogard. He, Keontae Johnson was cutting away from the basket out to the wing, and he jumped just for a second. I think Jay Nakins was the guy trailing him. I would have to go back and watch it more closely, but I think Akins was fine. And Hogart still jumped that way a little bit, and that cleared the space to get that pass into Ish Masood. Mm-hmm. If Hogart doesn't leave, that pass doesn't yeah. come in. And that was the story of the game was – and that's that's the pressure that Kansas State puts on you, right? Because if they hadn't been so aggressive, maybe Noel and Johnson go for 67 <laughs> instead of 42. Mm-hmm. But you put – they put so much pressure on those two that everybody else's lives were made so easy and they all took advantage and both ends of the floor, you know, what Nacon Tomlin was doing, Gasan had that block and hit all five of his shots. We talked about Ish Masood. You got contributions all over the place. Cam Carter hit two threes. It was Kansas State's offense at its very best. And I was just stunned at how bad defensively Michigan State was and the other thing I was thinking about, especially in the first half, when you look up and you see the score is 43-38, this Michigan State team is not beating – and, I mean, they came awfully close. You're not beating Kansas State playing on Kansas State's terms when you're this Michigan State team. I mean, they turned around and did basically the exact same thing, right? 44-39 in the second, mm-hmm. in the second half. Yeah, oh, they, they were, as close they as were phenomenal offensively. Yeah. yeah. I did, Just give me – in that kind of game, give me Kansas State. It felt like all week Michigan State talked about Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel and yep. then had to, on the fly, kind of go against the the instinct that had been kind of drilled into them all week. right? Because the, the, the you just can't make that mistake on an inbounds pass late in a game. Like right. you can't like like there are two things that you can't let happen. You can't let a guy coming from basically the elbow catch the ball on the block coming towards the basket. And or or like, you know, getting a pin down screen and going up for an oop like over the backboard. And you can't let them get a, a pass across the baseline underneath right. the basket. Those yep. are the those are the most important things that you can't like even give them a fading away contested mm-hmm. three in that short corner before you give them because the thing that makes that other shot so good is that that guy is catching it square at the basket already. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and you just can't let that happen and it kind of felt like the way and I can't remember who it was in that position, do you? Do you remember who I think it was, was Hogard. Was it Hogard? Yeah. Um it just kind of felt like his intention, his instincts all week were to don't let Keontae Johnson get anything free. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they just kind of forgot the fundamentals of guarding an inbounds play. And that you just can't let, like, cause it wasn't even like he got a, a bounce pass, like kind of through a tight window and the guy caught it with his back to the basket kind of thing. Like he was right. just wide open. Like right. you just can't that let shot- that happen. That pass was going toward the basket, not away from. It, yes, essentially, yeah, right. So, so that the, the, in 
it just kind of right on this particular night, 11 of 24 was enough to get it done from the three point line. Right. If they make one less, the game is, the game is, is different. The, uh, the one that Mark out that uh, Noel threw up. Yeah. <laughs> just, but I don't even know what that was, <laughs> but, um, but very, very, very cool. Just into like, and I love, like, I, I think it's kind of trendy to not understand what's so cool about Madison square garden. But the only way, and I saw some of that like before the game because like the crowd wasn't super impressive before this game started, and like it's six o'clock in New York City and it's Michigan State and Kansas State. Right. Like, what were you expecting? But it was awesome by the end, and it just delivers. I don't know what it is. like. Like, I don't know how to describe it to you other than it just delivers. It, it delivers some of the biggest moments on the biggest stages of of certainly college hoops. And we can have a conversation about how long it's been since the biggest stages of the NBA have happened in Madison Square Garden, but it just delivers. And and for whatever reason, and if it's just the name, then fine. But for whatever reason, when when things are intense and tight late at Madison Square Garden, it feels different than when it's late and intense at, you know, American Airlines Arena. Like it just feels different. And uh, last night was the case as well. It feels different when the Knicks are playing a playoff game. <laughs> yeah. No matter how good they are, how yeah. hopeless the actual playoff hunt is, right? We saw that a couple of years ago. It, yeah, it it's just a special environment. For sure. I'm going to say this because I don't know if anybody else wants to. I need my fifth year point guard. You know, Marquise Ball has played five total years of college basketball at this point. Mm-hmm. I need my fifth year point guard emotional leader not to jack up two logo threes in essential possessions. Mm. I do. <laughs> as as brilliant as he was, and I get that's part of the the beauty of what Jerome Tang has done is that he just lets these guys play. And more times than not, they figure it out and they figure it out in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that second one especially. I mean I think so highly of Marquise Noel that my bar for him is so high. What? They can't stop you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've scored, ni- you know, what, 82 points in regulation, 98, including the overtime. Don't bail them out twice. Mm-hmm. And especially on a game where he broke the NCAA tournament record for assists. Make somebody do something. Get your teammates involved. This will you can't, always you be... cannot you cannot ask him to get his teammates involved more when he has 19 assists. You can't say that. No, no, I, but that's what I'm saying is that he's doing it so effortlessly <laughs> sure. that he is settling because he could have done that. He could have done whatever he wanted. He was brilliant. And to choose that shot. And I, I look, it worked out because Hogard tipped it and Masood hit the shot. You know, everything went mm-hmm. their way after that. I just that is always going to be a sticking point with me. Is and it it if he was having a phenomenal shooting game, maybe it's a little bit different, right? But he's he's not Steph. Steph has the right to take that shot because Steph's the best shooter of all time. Steph can shoot from half court for all. I and care. perhaps the better the better comparison is like Trey Young. He's also not Trey Young, which is like you know right, from right. a stature perspective a little yeah. closer. But yeah, because he's got. I mean, because he's a well, Trey Young's a really good passer too. But he, yeah, I just I'm gonna throw it out there. Because that's the kind of stuff that comes back to bite you in a different game if things go differently. That might be the most Josh Doring thing I've yes. ever heard you say on this podcast. Oh, oh, just wait. I got more like, coming. 
Like it's pretty high on the list. Pretty oh, high yeah. on the list. I'd have oh, taken yeah. that shot in a pickup basketball game. So I, I had, I mean, like, but also I'm not the emotional fifth year leader of a of an elite eight team. And if so. you take, if you take it, you know, look, he had ten assists in the first half. If you take it with four, five minutes left in the first half, that's something different. Sure. That is the shot that you are putting your season on the line with, right? Because if he airballs that and it doesn't get tipped, Michigan State's got a one. It's a one point game, and they're playing one shot to win. Mm-hmm. And that fourth, almost, he did he did turn around and make the defensive play. Yes, on the other end. absolutely. And that was a really risky play. That I'm going to say he's got. He just had the instincts that he knew he was going to get the ball because that was. I mean, he could have followed a three point shooter, but you're right. He got the ball. He made the play. He delivered. He was he was brilliant. I'm so happy for him that he gets this story. They are they are amazing, and they. They should make the Final Four, which is absolutely incredible. And what's really spectacular is that either Florida Atlantic or Kansas State, right. either Florida Atlantic or the team <laughs> picked last in the Big Twelve, yep. is going to make the Final Four. Mm-hmm. And that's super. That's super super fun. Um, anything else in this game? That was a terrific offensive performance from Michigan State. Just just want to give them their props. It they were. That one's going to sting, not only because obviously they were so close to making the Elite Eight, but also just the way that this bracket played out. Mm-hmm. I to me, this was a winner goes to the Final Four game. And see, I'm not sure I agree with that. And it might be a little mostly bit because to say that. mostly because mostly because it's either like now we kind of have like two teams that I kind of feel like it's their destiny to make the final four. But if Michigan state is playing Florida Atlantic, it's like, okay, you're getting Florida Atlantic in the elite eight somewhere. The juju is on Florida Atlantic side somewhere in the juju, but that, that has much less to do with logic and much more to do with like George Mason's been to the final four (laughs) kind of, kind of thing. You just don't for a, for a school that's been through so much this season for a, you know, a time has someone said gotten... that to me last said that to me last night. Yeah, about Good. Michigan State as a university, and just having this open up the way it did, showing up and winning. You know, going toe to toe with a team in a game played in a way that does not suit you when your defense is just not there because they're so good offensively to still mm-hmm. find a way to take it down to the last possession to send it to overtime and to come. I mean, it's just the the awful side of this tournament is that. Both those teams deserve to win, and one of them obviously has to lose. Yeah. Gonzaga, UCLA. <laughs> My favorite thing about this game, not actually, but so for some reason there's a glitch on the ESPN website right now, and it says that Gonzaga that nobody played a single minute for Gonzaga last night. Or UCLA, I think. No, oh, there, no are two, there are some players on UCLA. Yes. Amari Bailey and Jaime Jaquez each played more than 34 minutes, but <laughs> nobody, nobody else, else played more than 11. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Um, so Drew Timmy had 36 and 13 along with four assists and two blocks and didn't play a single minute, 16 of 24 shooting. I mean, I mean that uh, talk about efficiency, talk about efficiency. He's he scoring walked an infinite, in with 36 and 13. Yeah, he walked into the building with 36 <laughs> points. Um, here's, here's, First of all, I learned that not for a single second do you go to sleep thinking that an NCAA tournament game is over because even when Gonzaga is up by 10 with 120 seconds left, um, stuff can happen. Um, but this was very much a tale of two halves. 46-33 UCLA led at the end of the first 20 minutes. Gonzaga 
wins the second half by 16. UCLA goes on an 11 minute run, 10 and a half minutes, uh, without scoring a field goal. Um, it kind of felt like, I mean, shoot, I mean, Mari Bailey and Jaime Hawkins were the only two on the floor for most of the game. So no wonder it just, it kind of felt like a beat up UCLA team ran out of gas in the second half of this game. And, and it kind of feels like, and I'm going to be mad if Gonzaga wins a national championship after I've picked them the last three years to win the national championship. <laughs> I'm going to be a little upset about it. But it kind of this kind of felt like the game because like every team, almost every team, at least every team that's not historically good, right? Like that Baylor team didn't get lucky anywhere, but that Baylor team is one of the ten best college basketball teams. Still ever. had that Villanova game though, but still had but still had a close game. But the, but but a lot of teams that go on to win a national championship have a game that whether it's the Virginia and Purdue game in the Elite Eight or it's a game like this that you kind of feel like that UCLA brought enough to the table that if they were just healthy they would have won this basketball game. Oh, without and question. but they weren't, and Gonzaga did just enough that even on a night that you got goose eggs from two of your five starting guards i mean two of your five starting uh players and and like nolan hickman and Nasir bolton had zero points and five field goals right you're starting backcourt now malachi smith made up for that a little bit having a really really nice game um and sir and having the type of game that you envisioned when he transferred to gonzaga um big physical guy that nobody in ucla's backcourt knew really knew what to do with um even on that night, Gonzaga found a way to to claw out this game, and that just kind of feels like the type of game that maybe it's going to go Gonzaga's way this year, and they got through a game that maybe they shouldn't have, and um, headlined by an, an all-time Drew Timmy performance. Yeah, and you could you could tell from the very beginning when he took, what was it, something like seven of their first eight shots mm-hmm. because UCLA was not double-teaming him. My and I think somebody on the broadcast even said this. My uh, two minutes into the game, I went, he might go for fifty, <laughs> and he ended at thirty six because things changed a little bit in the second half. Mm. But yeah, he he was just doing his thing, and then he, and especially after he hit the three, you just went, oh yeah, Drew, you know, then he started taking the ball at the court. I mean, Drew Timmy was not messing around. No. <laughs> My big question coming out of this is to your to your point about UCLA, right? Obviously, this team is not built to be playing this kind of rotation. You had two important pieces, your two best defensive players unavailable. Yeah. Is this more about Gonzaga figuring out how to play defense in the second half and how to guard a ball screen? Or is this more about UCLA just not having the the energy and the stamina to keep this up in a game that was played at Gonzaga's pace for 40 minutes. Because that's the question moving forward. Gonzaga was awful defensively in the first half. And then, like you said, UCLA couldn't score, couldn't hit a shot for half of the second half. Obviously, it's a combination of both, but which does it lean more in the direction of? Because you and I are both big believers. You have to be good defensively to win a national championship. You can survive individual games, but that was nowhere near good enough. Right. And even at the end, why did UCLA get back in the game? Because Jaime Hawkins got fouled twice and didn't get fouled hard enough to actually prevent him from scoring the basket. Right. 
Pick one or the other. If you're winning in the position Gonzaga was, either you got to follow him really hard or just give him the two points because the two points don't hurt you as much as the and one. And they did it twice. And then, they, you know, there were some turnovers in there, missed free throws, just everything that could have went wrong went wrong. And Amari, Amari Bailey then drilled that three. Amari Bailey is quietly, well, now his college career is probably over, but he turned into what he was supposed to be. Yeah, he didn't have the type of year that turns you into a hot commodity going right. into the NBA draft, but he certainly had an incredibly productive one year of college. And and that will never be the sexy way to describe a one-and-done's college career, but considering the talent that was on this team already and the veteran leadership on this team already, because that's the secret, right? It's really hard to be a one-and-done guy that's a hot commodity in the NBA draft if you're on a team that has veteran leadership, right? Because mm-hmm. Jaime Hawkins is going to have the ball, and Tiger Campbell is going to have the ball. Like That's just how it's going to work. But yeah, I totally agree. Had a really productive, a really productive year, and I think someone will ultimately be happy when they end up with him on their NBA roster. And when his team needed him to step into a bigger role, he did it seamlessly. That's the other part of this for me too, is not only did you see the flashes, but you saw, oh, this guy can go carry a scoring load offensively. You know, maybe he's not going to be option one, but this guy can, can really score. And you Mm -hmm. saw the athleticism, you saw him take that responsibility. So, you know, that can translate because that's part of what you don't normally see is right because they don't, they're not asked to do that. So you're kind of betting on the potential, whereas you're betting on both the potential and the production with Bailey, which is exciting. And I also think we saw him, the the game just slow down for him in general. Mm -hmm. Sure. He just looked more under control and like he had a better feel for the game than he did at the beginning of the year. It just kind of felt like he was raw athleticism and potential at the beginning of the year and looked much more like it looked I, I the, the way I'll put it is that if if they if UCL had to depend on him to take a bigger role three months ago I'm not sure it would have gone well mm-hmm. but at this point even on the biggest stage um even though it wasn't right obviously it wasn't quite enough but that's not a that's not a knock that's just a you played your season as one team and you got to the point in the tournament in the sweet 16 where you had to, you know, had to function as a different one. And, and that's always hard to do, but I completely agree with you. And then the other thing for Gonzaga, before I get to my big point here, it is, it is funny, right? And you texted me before the whole ending happened of, Saying I'm I'm so mad Gonzaga's going to win this thing in the year I didn't pick him in the year it makes no sense when you mm-hmm. know they're not great defensively and they their guard play was really is bad not good in this enough is not right. good enough yeah <laughs> right and yet here they are and it kind of feels like they're the team of destiny to a certain extent but Malachi Smith saved them in large part and Hunter Salas too those two guys just were the guards in the second half and things got a lot better so you mm-hmm. got to give them credit as well like you were saying with with Malachi Smith. They're, that's part that was of the, part of the reason, right, that their backcourt yeah. was supposed to be so good this year, right? right. You felt like there were four guys, and like, unfortunately, it's been more at more times than not this year, at least in big games, it's been, can we just get two of the four rather than it feels like we're like the other team has to play guard roulette and just decide which one they want to hurt them. Yes. It feels more of like, let's scrap together a backcourt than our backcourt is a, a weapon on top of what our frontcourt does. Yes. <laughs> 
But the beauty of having four guys is right. As long as two of them are playing right. well, you ride those guys, and that's exactly right. what happened. Right. Julian Strother is a very, very brave man for putting Drew Timmy's oh, college career in his hands. I, this is just one of those things, again, right? We're going to talk about it this way because he hit the shot. Mm-hmm. I do want to explore what is the narrative if he misses that and they lose? Because there is not a player in the country more deserving of going out on their own terms after what he has done for a program than Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy doesn't have to take that shot. But I 100% want Drew Timmy making the decision. That was not, this is a wide open three in the rhythm of the offense. I'm going to take it because I'm a good three-point shooter. This might be the best shot we get. That was not that at all, obviously. Um, Are you sure that that wasn't the play that they were running? Are you sure okay. that that's not what Mark View said? Okay. You want me to tell you exactly what? I have I have the quotes here because I wanted to look that up too. Okay. Because it because because it's basically a carbon copy of the shot that Chris Jenkins yes. made in the national championship game, and mm-hmm. I refuse to believe that that's not exactly the shot Jay Wright wanted in that moment. Oh right, 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 right. Which okay, and yes, and 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 like I'm sorry, there's like not even Julian Strother, ta- like not like and Julian Strother has never seen a shot that he doesn't like, at least not this year. Clearly, he was enabled this year by Mark Few, and this year didn't see a shot that he didn't like. Not even he takes a logo three with that much confidence with seven seconds left in the game, unless he was told to do it. Okay, here you go. You ready for his quote? Yeah, hit me. Okay, this is him. Well, first, I want to appreciate Is this Mark Few or is this Julian Strother? This is Julian Strother. Okay. But first, I'd like to give you Drew Timmy's thoughts on it. Drew Timmy okay. said, I mean, Julian, man, he just t- took on all of GU and just buttered that thing. <laughs> That's <laughs> Which fantastic. is a terrific Drew Timmy quote. Strother said... With the that mustache little... and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Strother said, the play was a little dribble handoff action. See if we could get their defense on their heels a bit. And initially when coach drew it up, he kind of drew, just search it up a little bit, maybe go downhill. And I kind of just asked him, can I shoot it? If no one steps off on me, do you want me to shoot it? And he was like, absolutely. And then I shot it. So you, Here, you are here's, correct. Here's why I don't think like, like, and I don't know what the secondary action would have been, right? Because there had to have been a secondary action, right? If there, if that, didn't I would argue work. that. Yeah, I would argue that shot was the secondary action, <laughs> rather than going downhill. While well, he exactly. shot that, like in his head, it was a pr- yes. it was a primary action. <laughs> well, right. When Mark Few said, "Absolutely, you could shoot it," he went, "Gotcha, coach." He was going to shoot it <laughs> because they stepped up on the three. Like the guy was there. <laughs> like he, yeah. like Strother just decided he was going to shoot it. Um. I would be curious to know specifically what Drew Timmy's role in the play was. Yes. Because, mm-hmm. because Drew Timmy doesn't move like he's involved in the play. Like he's not because like like I would be more curious with the did you just decide you were gonna muscle up you, that you were just gonna one up Drew Timmy on this play if it was like Drew Timmy who had made the inbounds pass or it was Drew Timmy who had done the little pitch back or Drew Timmy was making a move to set a ball screen he wasn't doing any of those things so right. maybe it's just a we have one of the best players in the country on our team and you have to worry about what he might be doing even though he's not going to do anything on this play 
or or if there was a secondary action they didn't get to because he took the shot with seven and a half seconds left. Right. That's the end. Yeah. And per and I'm and I'm way pro. Like if you have twelve seconds and you're down by one, I'm I'm massively pro take a shot with seven seconds left because if you miss it and you're only down by one, you're going to get the ball back if you foul and you have a chance to get an offensive rebound and get mm-hmm. perhaps the best shot you can get in that moment. Especially um, with the way they were rebounding the ball in this game. Right. So I'm super pro that. So I have no issue with that whatsoever, but um, it like, if like, I'll put it this way. If, if Timmy, if Timmy was supposed to be involved in that play, if there was a ball screen, he was supposed to set, he didn't come to it fast enough. Mm-hmm. He should have moved faster if he was supposed to, but the way that the play shook out, I'm I'm not totally sure he was supposed to be there. Yeah, I think and that, was just that was just kind of the way that. But but you're right. That's a. I, I'm not sure who has the bigger balls, Julian Strother or Mark Few. <laughs> right. If that right. was and, the play that he drew up, I'm not sure who has the bigger balls there. <laughs> yeah. My my thing is very simply. You, Strother decided that was the shot that his team was going to more or less live or die on. Sure. When he could have got downhill, he could have passed, they could have reset, right, because they had time. I'm with you that I'm, I don't have an issue with that shot going up early. And mm-hmm. I don't have an issue with somebody other than Timmy taking it because there is value in the Drew Timmy's down there and he has well, whatever it was, 36 points. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try and do something different defensively, which is going to leave somebody open. There's value to all of that. And Strother is obviously a really good three-point shooter. It's not like him ending up with a shot from the perimeter is a bad option. Sure. But you decided it was going to be the logo three. <laughs> that's true. And look, he made Can it. Can you imagine? Can we talk about maybe that's the perfect. Sorry to cut you off. That's a perfect like. It, like Chris Jenkins took a three from like six inches behind the three point line. Right. Can we like that just might be the perfect example. Like if you put those two side by side, the evolution of the of the game of basketball. <laughs> Like they ran the same play, but they had to run the same play three feet further away from the basket for their three point shooter to get a good look. And Chris Jenkins is like one of the best three point shooters to ever yes. play college basketball. Like, like in terms of a, I need a shot to go down. Where does Chris, Chris Jenkins rank on that list? Pretty high, right? Yes. Pretty high. And, and that's the, and even Julian Strother, who is not as good of a three point shooter as Chris Jenkins was at Villanova, needed three more feet further from the basket to get a less clean look than Chris Jenkins did. And that's the other difference I want to harp on for one second. That Chris Jenkins play was drew up for Chris Jenkins because there was no clear option A on that team, right? That's the beauty. They were all NBA players. <laughs> so a Chris Jenkins three, that queen of a look is a very satisfactory end result if you're Jay Wright. Sure. You have Drew Timmy. And right, maybe this is a conversation for Mark Few rather than Julian Strother. Based on, because I went and found these quotes because I wanted to see. I was thinking the exact same thing of what was actually happening here. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, and we don't know exactly what would have happened if he didn't take the shot. But that's the other difference is that you are deciding the ball is not somehow, some way going to get to Drew Timmy. And whoever you is, maybe that's Strother, maybe that's Mark Few, maybe it's a combination where mm-hmm. Few wasn't just going to go to Timmy immediately and Strother decided it wasn't going to Timmy at all. You know, I, I just sit here wondering what, what the conversation is like. If he misses that shot, Gonzaga loses after blowing that lead. 
And certainly as a guy who came in here and reamed Purdue's guards for not getting Zach Eady the ball more consistently against FDU, I can't mm-hmm. write that off. It's a it's a completely fair point. I can't I can't um talk about the play without there being at least some recognition of that with the way that I was absolutely livid with Purdue's guards at the end of at the end of that basketball game. But and so so uh, really where I've come down at the end of all of this is just watching last night as amazing as it was, it just reinforced to me that we just don't have any all time we don't have any great teams here. <laughs> I don't think so. If, if, right, the the teams that won maybe you logo throughs. <laughs> maybe and, UConn. <laughs> and let's yeah, that, that was the other thought well, I had as well. Maybe maybe the fighting Danny Hurley's here because maybe yeah, the fighting that's Danny the thing Hurley's. that occurred. Uh, Real real quick though, let's talk about the fighting Dusty Mays first. Okay. Um, Sixty two fifty five. Listen, one of these teams found a way to score forty points and a half against Tennessee, and the first <laughs> team to do that was going to beat them. Like even even on in a game where they scored twenty two in the first half, they 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 had an offensive half, and nobody in Tennessee hadn't given up an offensive half like that yet. And I haven't gone back and looked, but. Neither nobody had scored forty points on them in the tournament and a half yet, and Fort Atlantic got it going in the second half. And um, the Owls uh, marching on, they got they needed sixty two points to beat Tennessee by seven, and that's exactly what we thought was going to happen at some point. At some point, Tennessee was going to have the night where it was like, okay, yep, they don't have Zakai Ziegler, they have no offensive creativity, they're six of twenty three from the three point line. And when that happens, the margin of error is basically non-existent, and it certainly doesn't exist to a large enough extent that uh, that they were able to beat Florida Atlantic on this particular night. It is remarkable to kind of put together in the same sentence, yeah, you know, Florida Atlantic started knocking down some threes in the second half, and that kind of turned the tide, and they still shot 29.6% from three. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. But that was part of the difference is – particularly Michael Forrest. Michael Forrest came in and knocked down those couple threes, and that really turned things around. And once you get the lead, that's another thing about this Tennessee team that we haven't really talked about too much. Outside, if I mentioned it in the, I don't remember what game it was, but when they go down and they need to score, and they can't just kind of fuel their offense with their defense because they need buckets, they get so discombobulated so quickly, even with Ziegler in there. There is this panic that sets in when they know they have to score. If you mm-hmm. can just get a lead <laughs> and, you know, Florida State or Florida Atlantic played good enough defense in the first half to at least hang in there, right? They only gave up 27 points. Yes, they only scored 22, like you said, but they just gave themselves a chance. They made a couple plays, hit a couple threes, and all of a sudden they're up five. And then it just compounded from there because that stress sets in when you're Tennessee and you know you're bad offensively and you know you need to score. And yep. you saw that again, where the last eight or so minutes of this game were very comfortable for Florida Atlantic because they just kept getting some stops, kept scoring enough points to keep it, you know, kind of keep Tennessee at arm's distance. And mm-hmm. they are they are an awfully good basketball team. And here, I mean, I do think Kansas State's going to win that game, but you—that's <laughs> not because Florida Atlantic isn't good. This is not some Cinderella story. This is a really good basketball team that took advantage of the path in front of them, just like any other high major team that you could say the same thing of. No, they're going to lose that game because Kansas State is led by a New York guard at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> That's why they're going to lose that game. Um, the real half, the, real quick, the splits. First half for Florida Atlantic, 9 of 24 from the field, 3 of 14 from the three-point line, 1 of 2 from the stripe. 
Second half, 12 of 26, not much better, but better. Eh, nine percentage points better, better. Five of 13 from the three-point line. Two more makes on one less attempt, 39%, 38.5. And then they went to the free throw line 14 times, 11 of 14. And part of that is because you're up late in the game. But like, but but still, um, just offense guy. Yeah, it, Tennessee's offense is a lot like a rookie quarterback who looks really great in week seven against, you know, the Jets. But then when you need them to score with a ricochet shot at the Jets, I apologize. Yeah, I was going to say, what? Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, Just but also like, like, like I can't like the soap opera that's going to come with Aaron Rodgers <laughs> in New York is fantastic. Um, but when you need that rookie quarterback to go down and score with right. three minutes left and in the divisional round, um, outside of the system, right? Um, sometimes things get a little, a little bit dicier. And yep. really, in this situation, it's like that team, but also like the rookie quarterback they drafted in the sixth round instead of the second, <laughs> round. right? Or or in the first round. Uh, but Florida Atlantic sixty two fifty five. Really, like I said, the game that we thought Tennessee was going to have when they lost, they just weren't going to. They weren't going to score enough. The other team was going to was going to have a good half, whether it was the first or second, and they just weren't going to be able to keep up. Yeah. Speaking I of hope, not keeping up, oh, sorry. Real go ahead. quick before you we get to that game, yeah, I just, ahead. I really hope because I saw some, you know, the push alerts and the headlines and stuff about how we have another stunning upset. Mm, I, re- I really nice. hope that, I really hope that's not how we're talking about that game. A, that's a nine seed versus a four seed, and B, that's a what are they at now? 30, four, 34 win team. Actually, at this moment, they have the most wins in the country because Houston's Trivia still at time. 33. Trivia time. Uh, Florida Atlantic is what at Kimpom right now? Granted, after some NCAA tournament wins, but still, Florida Atlantic is what at Kimpom right now? 22? Higher. 18? Higher. Just barely. 14? 17. Wow. So that's a 17 yeah. at Kimpom, 33-3 and three team, beating a 7 at Kimpom, 25-10 and 10 team. Yeah, Exactly. I, it's just not that different. I, yeah, it's certainly I'm not, I'm not, not. It's certainly not as different as the seed line suggests. Right. I am not. And I saw our friend, Rectostic Extraordinaire Lucas Harkin, say, "I, <laughs> I don't usually like to kind of go back and relitigate seeding, but it was just so clear that they were underseeded, and obviously yeah. that's the case. I'm, yeah, that I'm was just like not the here first for- thing. That was the first thing he tweeted on Selection Sunday, I think. At least I one of the things I remember seeing, he was like, LOL, mm-hmm. a 31 and oh, 31 and 3, 9 seed. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not here for the slander. We gotta put this in perspective. That was two evenly matched teams and yep. the one that's playing better won. Yep. For sure. I agree completely. Um the the team playing better won <laughs> the the game in the West region, sweet sixteen as well. The number four Yukon Huskies. Over the number eight seed Arkansas Razorbacks, eighty-eight to sixty-five. Josh was the final score of this game. Might not UConn, even been that close. UConn forty-six points in the first half to Arkansas's twenty-nine and uh, twenty-nine, and it, uh, it it this one was never particularly close. Uh, Jordan Hawkins, finally, like, like finally. You know how long I've been waiting to look up and see Jordan Hawkins have 24 on 13 shots? You know how long I've been waiting for that? <laughs> Against a real basketball team. Nine of nine from the th- from the free throw line. Thank you. Um, Adama Sanogo was awesome as well. 18 on 11 shots. 18 and eight for him. couple blocks as well. 
you know, uh, Alex Caravan added 11 on a perfect five of five from the field as well. <laughs> you know, I'm not ready to say that UConn is the best team in the country, but, you know, quietly, right, they had this really, really ugly stretch at the beginning of Big East play, right? They go mm-hmm. one and five. You know, they they go 3-0 and to start conference play. They beat Butler, Georgetown, and Villanova. And then they lose to Xavier and Providence, both on the road, both respectable losses. Get a Creighton win, and then lose three straight to Marquette, Seton Hall, and St. John's. Get another Butler win, because that's what every team... They beat Butler by a combined 50 points. But don't worry, Butler beat an Elite Eight team. What's up? <laughs> Um, and then lost to Xavier. So between December 31st and January 25th, they had six of their eight losses. They only lost twice since then. Both of them were to top 25 teams, one to Creighton, a team still playing in this tournament, and to Marquette. A 70 to 68 loss to number six. Yeah, it Marquette. Went, that's the Big East tournament one, right? Right. Yeah, there was a, a flip on. You know, flip a coin. Game. So, so we very way. quickly went from UConn might be the best team in the country to UConn kind of fell off the face of the earth and on February 1st is out of the Big East regular season race. And that happened quickly and they've just quietly gotten back to really high-level basketball. They are one of the teams left in the tournament that fits the criteria of a national champion, top five offensive efficiency for them. You know, the, the, the kind of rule is top 40 offense, top 22 defense, the arbitrary lines that we've set just because, I mean, like it was, it was like 13 defense until Baylor won it as the 22nd. So like it could move, but like they fit the criteria and they're playing some darn good basketball right now and absolutely flex their muscles on a on an Arkansas team that was kind of gaining some momentum and their momentum came to a screeching <laughs> a screeching halt against the Huskies in the Sweet 16 88 65 was never it probably wasn't that close like you said and um yeah the fighting the fighting Dan Hurley's dominated the basketball game and um, is there anything specific that you'd like to say about this game, about UConn, about anything? Uh, the, the final score pretty much speaks for itself. The one thing I was mm. sitting there thinking about was this Arkansas team just – it became very clear immediately. This team, this Arkansas team had no chance without Trevin yep. Brazil. Yep. Now, is Trevin Brazil making up 23 points? No. No. They – they ran into a juggernaut. But those two bigs, you just – you have no chance if you don't have your center. Mm-hmm. It really was that How simple. And then, Donovan Klingon just played – they had 13 minutes. It's fine. It's like you right. just don't need to play that many more. It's almost like their coach was listening to you. <laughs> All right. Yeah, there was one of these teams that's playing well enough to advance. The other, I mean, and, you know, look, Arkansas just beat Kansas. It's also that difficult trying to come back from that, right? Mm-hmm. And do it again, match the intensity again, and do it in a team that's almost the exact opposite of what you just saw in Kansas, right? Kansas has no quote unquote big. Obviously, KJ Adams is the center, but KJ Adams is what, six foot nine? Right. He is not yeah. Adama Sonogo and Donovan Klingon. Very different player. 
He's like different. roughly half of Dominic. Dominic <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In a very real way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like literally. <laughs> <laughs> the, the matchup, this was a, a story of, well, one team playing much better than the other one and the matchup not doing any favors for the team that was already going to have a well. difficult time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at this field. They're, they're as capable of doing this as anybody. And also, we're going to get a phenomenal game. I'm. We need to see how today goes. I'm getting to the point where I'm feeling like the winner of that region might just win the whole thing. But I'm not. I'm not there yet, though. I want. I want to see what happens in. What is that? The, yeah, the Midwest with Houston and Texas first. And you does know, Alabama get past San Diego State? But yeah. You know, I think I think where I've come down on the NCAA tournament because I, I like where this Elite Eight is heading. I yes. I like the Yukon and Zaga game. Like Kansas State is a three seed. I also just don't feel it doesn't feel like they're a three seed. That's not that's no disrespect to Kansas State. That's not a commentary on their quality of basketball. But Kansas State FAU, like if you if you told me before the season that Kansas State and FAU were gonna play in the Elite Eight <laughs> and to ask me to guess their seed lines, I would guess like I would guess FAU on the twelve line at best, yep. right? And I would guess Kansas State coming from the other side at a seven seed at best, and it's a three nine, which is just yeah. not that. It, so, so I like that, even though, it, like that kind of feels, and that region is kind of your wild region this year. But elsewhere, right? We we get a Gonzaga, a, a UConn and Gonzaga, which is a three versus four, but we're, like, feels like more like a, a di- one versus two, right? Or at the worst, a two versus three. Yeah. I guess you can't have a two versus three in the Elite Eight, can you? No, you no. cannot. Uh, because the two versus three just played in the Sweet 16, Joshua. Um, but it feels more like a one versus two. And as, like, as long as Houston wins, beats Miami, um, you can give me either of those other teams. Like I like Houston versus Texas would, would be my preferred game. But mm-hmm. if you have Xavier there, I have no issue with that. And as long as Creighton beats Princeton and Alabama take like if you get Alabama Creighton, like that's also like a game that is probably closer to a one versus two than it is a one versus six, right? In terms of when Creighton yep. is healthy, or at least a one versus three. Um but I like this kind of that the overwhelming majority of your Elite Eight matchups are elite teams or at least as close as we're getting to elite this year. And then maybe you have a, a, a game that's something like Florida Atlantic versus Kansas state. And um, anyway, I, I enjoy that. And I kind of hope that today's games, while I hope they're entertaining, kind of finish off that, that kind of version of the elite eight. Cause they could get, yeah, it could get real interesting if there are some upsets today. Right. Right. It could also, we could also get, yeah. We could get imagine Princeton, San Diego State playing the Elite Eight <laughs> for the right to play Kansas State or Florida Atlantic in the Final Four. Yeah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, how about that? Um, but yes, anything else on last night's games before we talk quickly about coaches? Let's jump to the coaches. Who do you want to start with? Your your multiple choices is Cooley, Patino, Shrewsbury. Yeah, let's start Patino. Okay. Richard Patino parlaying his Iona performance into a into okay. Here's my first question: Why are people still taking the St. John's job? Will you explain that to me? 
Is it just the hubris of I can turn that program around? It's got to be right. I mean, I'm sure there's you know like, part of it. Big East, especially money, for, especially for Rick Pitino, right? All of those other things, but like, and Pitino is perhaps a little bit different. But like, that's like, like who's gonna like? We're gonna, we'll talk about Shrewsbury here in a second, yeah. and we'll talk about Cooley. Like those are two, and and, and Iona. St. John's is only obviously a better job than Iona because because St. John's is a Big East team and Iona is not. But like Iona's been to the tournament far more times recently than St. John's. So um so what say you about about Patino ending up at St. John's? Well, here is the thing about St. John's though. That same logic about the garden applies at least to a degree to St. John's. Okay. That it right that I'll is New that. York's that is New York's college basketball team. Now you need to make Iona, New York. Zion in New York? That was just a guess. I don't think it's in. Yes, New York. is it in New York? Yes, I believe so. Iona might confirm be, that. It might be Iona might be New York's college basketball team. The other part of that I, I was going I to you. say is I got you. You need to make people Iona. Care. Yes, yeah. yeah New, New you, wait, New Rochelle, New York. Okay, there you while go. while you're yeah. talking, I'm going to find where what what civilization New Rochelle is close. Okay. To. Very similar to LA. You need to make people care in those cities because there's so much to do. There's so many sports going on. The Knicks exist. The Nets exist for whatever that's worth. <laughs> New Rochelle is a suburb of New York City. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So of, of, of Newark. It's like okay. further, it's like further north than Newark. And it's like okay. right across. It's like, it's like a stone's throw from like, Greenwich and Stamford and like that kind of area. Gotcha. But it's really okay. just like, it's really just up the river a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So you, you have to win for people to care. Sure. But if you do, there is something that special that can happen. That's, that's where I would push back on the, why would anybody take the St. John's job? Sure. For what it's worth, I understand why people will take the St. John's job. It's just kind of like, it's also like, it's like, like in theory, yes, but also it's been a really long time since anybody's mm-hmm. actually done that. At St. Sure. John's. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, Oh, the other just, thing I wanted to throw, throw out there. Ahead. No, keep going. It is to use your phrase, laugh out loud, funny that St. John's is simultaneously hiring Rick Pitino and trying to fire Mike Anderson for cause. Laugh uh-huh. out loud. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, you can tell me that all these pro- colleges and programs like have the be- their best interests at heart. You can tell me that, but like there are like maybe like I could count on my hand the number of athletic programs that I actually feel like have good intentions. Like like on one hand, not even my alma mater do I feel like have good intentions. Not e- not even not even the Butler athletic department. But. That's just my skepticism at this point about college athletics more than anything else. Well, you know, Rick Pitino said he runs a clean, clean program. So, no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. I'm pretty sure I saw that somewhere. I'm sure you're right. It's just like, like, did he wear a clown mask while he was doing it? <laughs> Is he like painting Joker makeup on his face while he's doing it? I'm you know what that to... is, Josh. You know what that is, Josh. That's, is that's that? a joke. That's a joke, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, that's too. That's. <laughs> It sounds like the quote was, I've made my mistakes, but I've always run a clean program. Stop it. It's one headline I found. (laughs) 
We don't okay. need to. We don't need to dwell on that anymore. The over under on Richard Pitino St. John's no. years is five and a half. Right, one one cycle plus a year. Under. 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 Is it under because <laughs> does St. John's try to fire him for cause? <laughs> I mean, that's a factor. <laughs> It's, is it, was, does, does he get fired? Or does he get fired for his performance on the floor or off of it? <laughs> I, I'll say on. But I, thought, it's, right. to me, it's going to be a he's going to retire in three or four because it's not actually happening. Mm. Which may come back to be a really stupid take if he gets this thing going. I, I will if, say if, it's like. Like this is the like if I was a St. John's fan, this is the first hire I would have been inspired by. Oh, 100%. Like, like there, from yes. a I can see cuz like with all due respect to Mike Anderson, probably wasn't going to turn around at St. John's. No. Steve this Mullins is... probably wasn't going to turn Chris around Mullins. at St. John's. Chris Mullins, sorry. What did I say? Steve? <laughs> Steve. I don't know who Steve Mullins is. Chris Mullins. I know who Sean Mullins is. That's an artist. I don't know who Steve oh, Mullins yeah. is. Chris Mullins. Yeah. Right. This is not just trying to make the NCAA tournament. This is, this could go back to being consistently one of the 20 best programs in the country if he gets this thing going. Because he has an ability to elevate players and elevate a program that you can count on one hand the amount of coaches available, the amount of coaches in the, in the country right now that can do what Rick Pitino can do. The question is whether he can do it and whether he can do it fast enough. Mm hmm. But you're absolutely right. There's a there is a reason that they are willing to simultaneously try and fire Mike Anderson for cause and hire Rick Matino with all of his baggage because that dude can get you places that nobody else who has taken that job can. What's the lowest bar of success? Like what's the what's the lowest you'll go to define success? As in his tenure there was successful? Mm-hmm. I'll say three NCAA tournaments in a sweet three NCAA tournaments in a sweet sixteen in the next five years. That's a pretty low bar. You think three NCAA to, tournaments in five years? To hire Jones? him. To hire him. Right. Okay. You you are hiring him to win. Sure. Because clearly you don't care about any of the other stuff. That's a very specific bar to him, not to that job, if that makes sense. Sure. That's because fair. it's not worth it to hire him if he's just going to get you to an NCAA tournament every once in a while. Fair. That's my logic. You need you need to sports wash people with your success. Exactly. Yes. Fair. Okay. Let's go to Cooley. We'll stay in the Big East. Cooley making the jump from Providence to Georgetown. And like I'm, I, I got one thing to say over everything else. Georgetown is a better job than Providence. One hundred percent. I don't understand why. Like, like we can be pissy that that like as a Providence fan that that he left to go to Georgetown. We like that. That is totally valid. But anything to suggest that Georgetown is not. What the what the second the third best job at worst in the Big East, right? It's an interesting Villanova, question. Villanova, UConn. 
Villanova UConn? Xavier? Maybe. Maybe. Historically, Creighton. no. Creighton, but maybe. Right. right. Oh, right, 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 right. But, but like, but the right hire, like, you can make the right hire at those other schools and it's still not necessarily work out ultimately. Mm-hmm. You can make like if if Ed Cooley is and like right ideally Ed Cooley is fifteen years younger, but like you make the right hire at at Georgetown and the the possibilities are endless. Like so so let's just like we can start there we can go elsewhere. But like I don't understand the concept that like like you can but like talk about the clown mask. You and Richard Pitino can get into like get into a room together and <laughs> and quote things out and put clown masks while you do it at the same time. We can have all the uh, all the opinions we want, but it is and it is not up for debate which job is better. And it also when and the other part of this I want to talk about is why he wasn't the coach five years ago if this was so sure. easy for Georgetown to make happen. But and maybe it was just a Ewing and, and the Thompson family thing. Maybe that's just what it was. And if that's the case, then that's totally legitimate. Um, but it's about the only thing that I can come up with that makes yeah. sense. Well, he's he's uh, the only he's the only coach, if I've got this correct, since John Thompson the second that's not connected to John Thompson the second. Right. Right. Exactly. So like that's that's gotta be it that like right. the Thompsonville just has a stature at Georgetown that they basically got to handpick to the next head coach. And, and if Patrick Ewing wants job, to be your so. coach, I mean. Right, right. But also if like he's not getting endorsement from the Thompsons and Patrick oh, Ewing right, wants right, your job right. and Ed Cooley wants your job, like Ed Cooley should probably get your job if you're actually yes. interested in winning basketball games. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing it was a, this is who I want to be the next head coach of Georgetown kind of thing, which is totally fine. But um but yeah, this is a better job. And if the guy has wanted it for half a decade, like he's going to parlay his success at Providence into this Georgetown job. He's just going to do it. Now, it's interesting because he talked a lot about wanting something new and wanting a change. So in terms of why this didn't happen earlier, that's part of it too. Sure. I'm not sure he would have taken this job. The, the, Maybe not, originally- but... Originally, when you and I were talking about it, I was of the exact same mindset before hearing him speak was just right. If if he was so happy to jump ship, why weren't you doing everything you could to make that happen sooner? If you knew that mm-hmm. this was something you could pull off, like why, I also, why weren't you calling Georgetown the last time it was open? It's like, hey, right. I want your job, by the way. I do. It sounds like there has been a change in mindset that led him to decide that he wanted to do something new. Mm. If you want to believe what Ed Cooley's saying, and sure. why would Ed Cooley have reason to lie about that? Especially when, you know, he was coaching in his hometown, basically, and could have been there forever, right? Yeah. The part of this that is interesting to me is the the calculation aspect. Because you're absolutely right. It's far and away a better job. It's also going from a place where you just want a regular season championship in that conference to a program that can't hold on to a roster. Now, will Ed Cooley change that? Quite possibly, right? But Georgetown's roster looks completely different year to year because there are guys leaving through the transfer portal every single season. And not just players, but the best players on the team. Sure. Right, this program is so far away from being 
anything but bad. <laughs> now, also in the world of transfer portal and one-time transfers without penalty, you can rebuild that very quickly, right? And go see what Kansas right, and then go see what Kansas State just did. There were two players from that team last season, and Jerome Tang just said, "I'll take everybody." Yeah, <laughs> and all yeah, these you, open roster. You spots. inheriting you inheriting a quote unquote bad team is not an excuse anymore. It's just not right, and especially if those players are leaving, it just lets you go pick your guys. So right. that 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 has changed the conversation. It's it's just interesting to me that he took a rebuild rather than and again maybe this job just wasn't out there and he he decided he wanted a new challenge. His daughter is also I believe a student there right now. He mentioned that as well. So there's and obviously he's got a huge respect for the Thompson family and there are things that would pull him to Georgetown specifically. It's just interesting to me because I always saw it as Ed Cooley would only leave for a massive step up. Mm-hmm. To me, this is a step up, but not a massive step up. And but I, my, um, go ahead. Your probably your chances of making a Final Four to your original point significantly higher at Georgetown. It's going to take a lot of work to get to that point because you got to kind of get people excited about Georgetown basketball again first. But you do have an, a very easy, a much easier path to where you ultimately want to be than he did a week ago before he took this job. Yeah, that would be that would be my pushback. And I am one second here. I was I was trying to go fast enough to pull up both tabs. I was trying to pull up, um, and I've now done it. Um, here's here, like first of all, I I would actually call it a massive step up. And the only reason it's not seen wholeheartedly as that by everybody is like, like you just called Georgetown a a step up and Georgetown went what this year? Seven and 25 and Mm -hmm. is two and 37 in Big East games in the last two years. (laughs) And you still, and 13 and 50 overall, and you still just call Georgetown a step up. Mm -hmm. So like Providence won the Big East last year. Right. And Providence went to the tournament again this year. And still, you just called the Georgetown job a step up, which which I would argue means that it's actually a massive step up. Because if Georgetown showed any sign of success anytime recently, it would be seen as closer to that. The yes. other thing I'll say is so so you would you would consider the last ten years of Providence basketball the best ever? The best stretch of Providence basketball ever. Like, like we're talking, Close. like they, they lost in the regional final with Pete Gillen in 1967. There's Sorry, the final 19, four in there. Ni- 1996. The final Speaking four. Speaking of Rick Patino. <laughs> the final four is 1986. Holy crap. Can we talk about how long Patino has been coaching? <laughs> 19, 1986, 87. So the 87 NCAA tournament was the national semifinal. They had not been to the tournament since the mid seventies. And the, they did not win a tournament game until they went to the elite eight with Pete Gillen 10 years later. Okay. Okay. In the so last then, 10 yeah, years of yes. Providence, <laughs> they've been to the tournament one, two, three, four, five, seven of the last 10 tournaments. But they only got past the second round once. And that was last year when they got the Sweet 16. Georgetown. has been to at least the third round one, two, three, four times 
since 2005. So and that also bad, includes losing as FG, losing to FGCU as a two seed. So as bad as Georgetown has been as of late, if you just bump it back twenty years, they've still boat raced Providence mm-hmm. in terms of NCAA tournament success. And when you put that with the history and the fact that it is like like if you told me if there if someone came from the future and told me that Georgetown went to the Sweet Sixteen next year because Cooley put together a roster and the Georgetown powers that be said, here's $5 million, you know, through whatever channels are legally given those $5 million. Here's $5 million. Go recruit. Here's $5 million. Go do it. Go get us a roster that is talented enough to make it run in the suite in the tournament because between the transfer portal and NIL, we can turn this around immediately, immediately. And I would not be totally stunned. And the and, and I think that that Ed Cooley, I think Ed Cooley got to the point where like, yeah, I kind of, I, I, I kind of just like we've hit the ceiling here at Providence. Mm-hmm. We have. Yep. And yeah. and that just might be, you know, it's like someone bouncing a job from one job to another and any other. Like the ceiling is just higher. And 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 Ed Cooley has run into the ceiling at Providence enough times that I can understand that, you know what, I'm going to go to a place where the ceiling is higher, even if the floor is pretty low right now. Yeah. The final thing I'll say in terms of why I don't consider it a a massive, massive step up is Mm -hmm. we don't know what Georgetown looks like in this NIL era yet. Sure. Because there will always be this hesitation with me from a basketball first school trying to compete. Now, Georgetown's alumni network is a little bit different because of of the prestige the school has and the prestige of the program. It's 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 also difficult to generate that money when you don't have football behind. So, I I just don't sure. know cuz it's also right, it's also entirely possible that's what the the sell to cool it was is look, we'll get you the money. We're we're ready to invest in this thing. We are tired of being way, way, way worse mm-hmm. and embarrassing the legacy of Georgetown, basically, right? I mean, that's yep. what the last decade has been for the most part. Yeah. We're going to do what it takes to get this thing back on track where it should be. And that could very well happen because, right, the beauty of this is you can turn it around immediately. I just need to see that actually happen before I'm convinced that's what this is going to be, where all of a sudden they're right there in the thick of the, the quote unquote NIL race. Sure. And I just believe that all those things you just said will add up to, we're ready to be in the NIL race. Mm -hmm. And yeah, entirely possible. And that's something that you just, you know, you're not going to get that opportunity at Providence. Yeah. So that that's, that's where I, that that's where I, that I ultimately come down. Okay. Last one. Speaking of Providence real quick, before we get to this next one, yeah, Excellent ahead. hire, Kim English. Big fan of that. Yeah, big fan. Kim English, high-quality basketball coach. Yeah. For sure. For sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, last but not least, Micah Shrewsbury. On his way. Home, kind of. <laughs> On his way. Yeah, Indiana guy. Grew up in Indianapolis. And uh, he's on his way to Notre Dame. And... um Listen, I think I think if you're a Big Ten fan for a school not named Penn State, that uh, that you're pretty happy with this <laughs> because 
because Michael Shrewsbury and the Nittany Lions were coming, and um, and uh, the he he quickly uh, parlayed his success uh, at Penn State into into a higher Notre Dame. Does he take this job if it's not in Indiana? Um, it's a good question. I don't. I don't know. But but where I where I wanted to where where I wanted to start with this more than anything else and why if you gave me the schools without any locations why I think the answer might still be yes is 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 that like there are eighteen there are eighteen Notre Dame all time recruits that are higher ranked than the second highest ranked recruit. From in Penn State history, eighteen, and on that list are are JJ Starling, class of twenty twenty two, Ben Allen Lubin, class of twenty twenty two, Nate Lazuski, class of 2020, 2018. This is high school graduating year. Um, those were all in the top ten. Um, my point being, and you can go down the list, you know, deeper. Um, Robbie Carmody, class of 2018. You have to get all the way to, I think, the 18th ranked guy, is what I said, before you get to the second highest ranked Penn State guy. Even in a, like, they just, like, JJ Starling is the highest recruit in Notre Dame history. And he was a freshman this past year. So, even though, (laughs) say that again. Say that again. Oh, also in the transfer portal. Just, who JJ Starling? Yeah. The point being is that even right. though Penn State's arrow is pointing up and Notre Dame's arrow is pointing down, it still doesn't matter. It's just it's just a higher like that. You just you can recruit better at one place than you can the other, which is why I would, which is why I might lean towards yes, he would take the job, and even if it wasn't in Indiana, but if he was on the fence at all it being in Indiana was going to send him over the fighting Irish judge. Yeah. JJ Starling is heading to Syracuse, which is a conversation for another day. Oh, 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 no, no, no. I didn't mean on his team now necessarily. Right, 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 I right, right, right. Through, yeah. Right. I just, my point Sorry, was, I, right, misunderstood, you, I, I misunderstood you. My bad. Yes. Yeah, no JJ right, Starling yeah. on his team, but still. Yeah. You were able, right. You were able to recruit and then bad season, JJ Starling gone. You know, but right. Absolutely. Your point is valid that you can get a a level of player at Notre Dame that historically Penn State has not been able to get. And that is 100% a reason to, at this moment in time, Notre Dame is the better job. And right. You throw on top of that, the ability to be close to home. I get it. Mm -hmm. I just, have and this is similar to my Georgetown thing, except for the opposite. You look at what happened to what's happened to Alabama, what's happened to Auburn, what's happened to can I think of any other schools off the top of my head? Baylor. There are Arkansas, right? These football schools with the big brands and all the money. And what they've been able to do when they choose to invest in men's basketball. UCLA. 
Is UCLA on there? UCLA is a basketball school. I mean, I guess the history of their I, basketball program is better than the history yes, of their football. I, program, I don't, but consider, they make I don't, more money off their football program. Sure, well, right, because uh, yeah, I know. I don't put. I don't, I don't put UCLA in this conversation. Duke is a basketball UCLA, school, but they still have an ACC football program that that shovels in money. You say who? Syracuse, Duke, Duke. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, yeah. but people care a lot more about Duke basketball than football. That's my point. Sure. Okay, right. If fair, you're, yeah, if you're, yeah. those SEC schools care way more about football than basketball. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm drawing the distinction. Okay. Fair. But Nate Oates is getting whatever he wants at Alabama. Eric Musselman's getting whatever he wants at Arkansas. Bruce Pearl's getting whatever he wants at, you know, you can go down the list. Penn State's the kind of school that can do that. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you're having a very different conversation. Now, would that actually have happened? Who knows? Obviously, Michael Shrewsbury. Notre Dame's also one of those schools, though. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Football first, but has and that's Notre Dame just is interesting because there are some hurdles, there are some challenges. It's in this weird spot, but also it's Notre Dame. So that I'm I'm just kind of disappointed. It's a home run hire for Notre Dame. Home run. I'm just kind of disappointed we don't get to see Shrewsbury do this at Penn State because. Penn State, if he stays for a decade, Penn State basketball looks very, very different. They, I really feel like they were this close. And maybe they find the right person to follow him up and they still get there. But you have to have the coach and you have to have the success to motivate you to put the money in. To go, mm-hmm. hey, if we just give this guy a little bit more, we can turn ourselves into what Alabama has become. Where it's just an elite men's basketball program now. Mm-hmm. Penn State had a way to go, but they were on that track. And Shrewsbury decided to to take the Notre Dame. That, that's just the, the resources and the ability you have when you're that kind of brand. And Georgetown's a different kind of brand. But that was one of the things I was thinking about is there's, there's just this endless potential at a school like Penn State if everybody gets behind the men's basketball program. And maybe they just never will. Mm-hmm. At which point you absolutely go take the Notre Dame job because your chances are better there. Yeah, you know, I think I think at some point at some point like like NIL changes the discussion a little bit in terms of how you can invest in your basketball programs. But like it's not like Penn State just arrived in the Big Ten. It's not mm-hmm. like Penn State just arrived in the we have the money to support our basketball program. Absolutely true. World, right. mm-hmm. and it's a program that's been to the tournament four times yeah. since six, 1965. <laughs> right. The the support has never been there. Yeah. So so maybe like absolutely valid. And is would Shrewsbury I think turn it into a program that almost would demand that the university exactly put money gotta, into it. Yeah. Right. You got to have the coach and the success to make somebody right. want to elevate you to that level. Right. Yeah. And and I think and I would agree that I think he would have been able to do that. But like this is a this is a, a school that like Pat Chambers was there from 2011 to 2020 and didn't make a tournament. He was there for a decade and didn't make a tournament. To me, that screams a school that's not all that interested in really mm-hmm. putting effort into their basketball program. Because the schools that do, 
and like Holtman might have saved his job by the by what happened at Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament. And I feel like he would have been fired already if he was going to get fired this offseason. That's another good but, example. Mm-hmm. But like if he doesn't have a good year next year, he's gone. Yeah. Like he's going to get fired. Yep. And Ohio State has a history of of investing in their basketball program. And <laughs> when it's not going well, changing their basketball program. Yep. And Penn State just doesn't. Like mm-hmm. Northwestern, like Northwestern's basketball program, respectable, has gotten to a point where they they every few years put together a team that can compete like like we're on we're, we're threatening with a pattern here right you had you had the team with with Macintosh and that that was good and you had this team with Boo Booey last year like but that's also a, a school that has more things to worry about than mm-hmm. supporting their men's basketball program right that's why Collins is still there respectfully mm-hmm. Collins is a fine yeah. basketball coach he would have been fired a long time ago at any other Big Ten school mm-hmm. except maybe Penn State yeah and and I think that's that's um I think that's part of it as well. Yeah. Now Mike Bray also had his struggles in terms of getting the support he wanted from Notre Dame. So it's not like True. And we also don't really know because like Notre Dame just kind of stumbled into a all time right. <laughs> basketball game. Right. Where he was making just the absolute most out of what he was given. Yeah. So maybe Notre Dame maybe that's the what Notre Dame is selling is we're similar to Georgetown. We're ready to take this jump. If you take this job, we're going to back you to give you everything you need to turn this into a really, really good program. Yeah. Which at that point you're jumping because yeah, you have no, from a track record standpoint, no indication that's happening at Penn state that you kind of have to do the work to convince Penn state to make that happen. Whereas your work at Penn state can convince somebody else to open the door who wants to invest and believes you're the person that can make it happen and maximize everything. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You got anything else on coaches, tournament, (laughs) anything? It's been 80 minutes. Yeah. I think we should get out of here. I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with a slightly shorter podcast, not slightly shorter, a, a, (laughs) a way shorter podcast. Roughly. I mean, we start, we, we finished up with the sweet 16 games 40 minutes ago. Um, so we won't we won't be quite this long, but if you listen to the entire pod, we appreciate you, and uh, we'll be back on Saturday morning to chat about whatever happens on Friday night. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. If you like the YouTube, uh, if you like video versions of podcasts, you can find the video version of this podcast on our YouTube channel, Jays for Days podcast we'll be back tomorrow thank you so much for listening to this edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh and we will see you later